we're in hope, verse 24, we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus entered as a forerunner for us. When your hope is in Jesus Christ, when your hope is in the one who rose from the dead and is coming back, your hope is like an anchor of the soul. This hope does not disappoint. It's a hope sure and steadfast, absolutely certain. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, Awaiting Glory. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. The condition we're in today, our bodies, they're not what they ought to be. And the Lord, when He was here, it was a little foretaste of what He's going to do for us. And He sighed, He groaned as He looked at the condition of the situation today. Uh, by the way, one, one time it's translated grief, and I, I can't help but mention it. You know, he says in Hebrews 13, he says, obey your leaders. He's talking to the church. He says, obey your leaders as those who will give an account to the Lord. And let them do this. Let them lead you. Let them shepherd you with joy and not with grief. And grief is this term groaning. And I talk to pastors sometimes, and I hear of shepherds who are just groaning because of the lack of heart for God and submission to God among God's people. And you look at Moses' life, you know, and sometimes you see that. And uh, Hebrews says, obey your leaders. They're going to give an account to the Lord and let them lead you with joy and not with groaning and grief. But generally speaking, it's talking about the human condition, period. Look over at 2 Corinthians 5 for just a second. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 often comments in ways that uh, amplify Romans 8. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, this term is used a couple of times. Indeed, in this house, verse 2, I'll read verse 1. We know that if in the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, and he's talking about our body, this earthly tent, which we live in, it's our house. If this earthly tent is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house, in this body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened. You see, we're groaning. We're awaiting the full expression of our adoption as sons. Yes, we've been adopted, but we're awaiting the adoption of sons. What does he mean by that in Romans 8? Well, you see, having the first fruits of the Spirit, he says, we're groaning, waiting eagerly the completion of the whole thing. And stay right here in Second Corinthians and read on uh, every time he mentions this, he, he ties it together this way. Look at verse 5. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, a down payment. This is an economic term he uses, as earnest money. How do I know God's going to finish what he started in my life? He gave me his Spirit as a pledge. Having the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan waiting that day when he'll finish the job. 
You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge. I'm quoting Ephesians 1. So the moment you believe, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and He is given as a pledge, an earnest money. I know He's coming back for me and going to finish the work He started because He gave me His Holy Spirit. Turn back to Romans 8 and enjoy it. I mean, He's just amplifying. He's kind of driving these truths home, Just and each time He adds more detail and they become richer. But you can see what I'm after here. Let me put it this way. The great future reality of full adoption as sons of full redemption of the body is guaranteed by the great present reality of the Holy Spirit in your life, Christian. How do you know that the future glory is secure? He has given you the first fruits of the Spirit. So that's what he says in verse 23. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits, we eagerly anticipate in groaning, we're waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. He stated it a different way if you just look back at verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He just said in verse 9, if the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to Christ. No, He does dwell in you. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about that, Christian. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. The one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, where is He? He's dwelling in you and me. We've got the first fruits of the Spirit. We can look ahead with eager anticipation to the full expression of our salvation. The full expression, I'm using that term, of our adoption as sons. Because remember, look, verse 23, he says, we're waiting for our adoption, but really we've already been adopted. But we're not fully experiencing it yet. Well, he calls it here, look at the end of verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. Now, the Bible says two things about our bodies. Maybe it says more, but it says two. We need new ones. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) And secondly, we're going to get new ones. Aren't you glad? I mean... Think about it. We need new ones. I mean, that's the... Everybody's just going downhill. Some of you young people think you're still on the upswing, but you just wait. (laughs) You know. We need new ones, and we're going to get new ones. Now, let's kind of let the the thought here develop because it's tied to why we're groaning in this present time and what we're waiting for. And he speaks of it here. We, Our body is where the flesh resides. Uh, Look back at chapter 7, verse 22. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, Paul writes, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? We talked about it in chapter 7. 
We want to live for Christ. We desire to live holy lives. And we find ourselves not able to as we should. And we cry out, which Christian doesn't know something of the Romans 7 struggle? Something of Paul's plaintive, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from what? The body of this sin. In my inner man, I joyfully concur with the law of God, but I see a different law working in the members of my body. The body houses the flesh, if you will. And uh, notice verse 13 of chapter 8. If, we, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, he parallels the deeds of the body and the flesh there. And no wonder we groan and eagerly anticipate the day when our bodies will be renewed. Now, this does not mean, by the way, and let me state it as Romans has stated it very clearly, this does not mean that because we've got these bodies and because that's where the flesh resides that we have to give in to the flesh. Not at all. Turn back to chapter 6. Don't forget where we've been with Paul. Verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. But that's where it wants to. But don't let it. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When he concludes the whole argument of Romans, you know what he's going to say? Think ahead. I hope you're reading and rereading Romans. When you get to chapter 12, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So this is no excuse to cave in to sin. But the reality is here just the same. And neither is the teaching, by the way, when I say this, that we're looking forward to that new body and that our bodies aren't what they ought to be. They're not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not teaching, and the Bible is not teaching, some sort of dualism where matter is evil or the body is, is, is uh, wrong or something. No, God created matter. God created our bodies. And, uh, you know, dualism and always leads to either a false asceticism or just a blatant gross immorality. And uh, philosophy goes down that direction and religion goes down that direction every generation. But the Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does say, and quite obviously, that our body isn't what it will be and that He's not done with us yet. And we're waiting for that day when we won't even be, you know, uh, susceptible, can I use that term, to temptation. When we will be, you know, the theologians say justified, I'm delivered from the penalty of sin. Sanctified, I'm being delivered from the power of sin. Glorified, glorification, I'm going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. And an integral part of that is that we're going to get a new body. Now, our body today is not only housing the flesh, but it is weak and frail. Our outer man is decaying, 2 Corinthians 4.16, contrasted to our inner man that's being renewed day by day. So no wonder we eagerly await. Now, we're going to get new bodies, and young Christians and old Christians alike. And I think depending on where you're at in your pilgrimage through this life, if you're thinking clearly, maybe the young person says, oh, to be delivered from some of the lusts of the flesh. And maybe old-timers say, oh, to be delivered from some of the infirmity 
of the body and can't wait to get one that works again and that sort of thing. Either way, we eagerly await the redemption of the body. It's going to be tremendous. There's going to be no more lusts. There's going to be no more diseases. There'll be no more things wrong with our bodies, parts that don't work, that sort of thing. Uh, we need to we need to enjoy it. Now, somebody says, well, what will it be like? Our body will be like the Lord's. Turn over to Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. Let me show you two or three things about it. And I think we should enjoy this because he says we're eagerly awaiting. We ought to know what we're eagerly awaiting, you know. He says we're going to get new bodies, the redemption of our body. And our bodies are going to be like the Lord Jesus' glorified body. Verse 48 of Corinthians 15, As is the earthy, so also are the earthy. And I won't take the time. He's just compared the first Adam and the last Adam here in verses 45 and following. Uh, Jesus Christ is the last Adam. Born into Adam, we, we had uh, Adam's problems. Born into Christ, we've got Christ's victories. Okay, As is the earthy, so also are the earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are the heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Our citizenship, Paul writes in another place, is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a Savior who will transform the body of our humility into conformity with the body of His glory, Philippians 3.21. Our body will be changed into conformity to His body. It will be like Jesus. 1 John 3, He says, keep your eyes fixed on Him, keep your hope fixed on His return, because right now it doesn't yet show what we're going to be like, but when He appears, we shall be like Him. 1 John 3, verse 2. So we will be, our bodies will be like our Lord's. Secondly, uh, stay right here in Corinthians, uh, they will be imperishable, incorruptible, immortal. Verse 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Death will have no more touch or even reach on us, and all its, you know, all the strings that are attached because disease and all the other problems in our body are just kind of close cousins to death. That's why we get nervous, because we know that they're all... We're not going to have mortality. We're going to have immortality. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But someone still presses and says, yeah, but what will they be like? Well, I say, well, they'll be like our Lord's. They'll be imperishable. They'll be immortal. But what will they be like? Listen, the third thing I'd say about it is that you can't grasp it, and neither can I. We can't begin to fathom it. All we can do is take what the Scripture says and kind of extrapolate. Okay? Uh, read verse 35 of this. He gives quite a bit on this, really. Someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, he says. Don't ask. I mean, you know, he says, we can't fully grasp it. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. 
Now, listen to what Paul's argument here. He says, listen, when you, when you sow a seed, you know, you put a, an acorn. You look at the acorn, you say, boy, I'm going to get a massive acorn, right? <laughs> you put this little acorn in the ground and this huge acorn comes. No, an oak tree comes out of the ground. You'd never really guess, looking at the acorn, of the grandeur and the complexity and the beauty and the purpose and the majesty of an oak tree. Nor would you, you know, we used to play those little, we call them whirly gigs or helicopters, a maple leaf. You don't, you don't, you don't want a massive maple leaf. You put that, or a seed, I mean. You put the seed in the ground, you get a maple tree. And you think through all of life works that way. Just by looking at the seed, you know, like is going to beget like, and you'll get more seeds. But the, but there's going to be something so much greater and grander than the seed itself. And that's the way it will be, he says, in the resurrection. Read on. Uh, Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. There is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Uh, just think of the, you know, diversity that God has created. Even within creatures, just all the different kinds. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And he he moves from thinking about seeds and, and the plants that you could never really predict but are just a beautiful picture of God's ability. And then he says, think about the moon, the sun, the stars. Stars differ from star, you know. And he's talking, Paul's writing in a day when what they could see, how many is it, 3,000 or something that we can actually see with the naked eye? Uh, it's a lot of them. You go out on a dark night away from the city lights and you go, man, you get away from the pollution. And you rightfully say the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And you see the different different kinds and different uh, glories, you know, brightness and dimness and that sort of thing. But now we know that our galaxy has... 200 billion stars? And they're guesstimating now that there's 100 billion galaxies? Think of God's creative power when He spoke. And He says, there's one glory for the sun, another for the moon. Stars differ from stars in glory. So also, now listen, verse 42, He applies it. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Suffice it to say, we can't begin to imagine what our bodies will be like. Will we be able to fly? Oh, yeah. Kids ask me, my kids, you know. You think the one who created birds and can, the things they can do? I love to watch the hummingbirds, and I love to watch the soaring ones that just take it easy and kick back and, you know, don't you? Do you think the one who created all that doesn't have some of that in store in the next creation? So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. We've got them. We are fearfully and wonderfully made now. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. 
full of wonder when I think of my body, the psalmist said. It is inexpressibly complex. I was talking to a doctor this week, and he was still marveling uh, at, an, at the first anatomy class he had because my daughter's taking anatomy, and he said, you know, I just some of the parts of the body still just blow you away when you think about the... We are fearfully and wonderfully made now. Just think what our new body will be. And, of course, we can't really think. But he uses pictures. When he describes Christ, Revelation 1, he uses language that is just obviously taxed. We can't fully comprehend it. We'll be like him. We'll be imperishable. And it will be beyond what we can really grasp or think. And I'll tell you what else. If that doesn't make you eagerly await it, look at the end of the text. Look back at Romans 8 now. This hope is a certain hope. For in hope, verse 24, we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This hope, this eager anticipation, the Bible calls it hope. It is faith. We walk by faith, not sight. All this is not by sight. If this were, if I could see this, it wouldn't take any hope. But hope in the Bible is not the kind of hope we have. Kind of, well, I sure hope it happens this way. I hope it turns out that way. No. Hope in the scripture does not disappoint. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. I'm quoting Hebrews 6. When your hope is in Jesus Christ, when your hope is in the one who rose from the dead and is coming back, your hope is like an anchor of the soul. It's sure, it's steadfast. My hope is guaranteed by the Son of God seated at the right hand. He's entered as a forerunner. My hope is guaranteed by the Spirit of God. He dwells within me. I've got the first fruits of the Spirit. This hope does not disappoint. It's a hope sure and steadfast, absolutely certain. No wonder we rejoice. No wonder we wait eagerly for the completion of it. And we groan in the meantime because things aren't what they ought to be, but we're eagerly anticipating that day. You know, today we know we're children of God. Someday soon, everybody's going to know it. The whole world will know it at the revealing of the sons of God. We know that this creation is going to be fixed. Someday, everyone will know. The creation knows it. The creation's waiting eagerly. What a day that will be. No wonder that's the focal point of history and the focal point of the Christian to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Awaiting Glory, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Even in this area, this most simple of things to talk to our Father. We don't really know how to do it as we should, but the Spirit helps our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He comes to our aid. He helps our weakness. And that term He uses for weakness is kind of what we talked about last week when He was talking even about our resurrection body in in Corinthians 15. The seed is sown in weakness. It is raised in glory and power. We are weak. We are frail in the body. We are yet waiting that day when we'll be with Him, and the Spirit knows that, and He intercedes on our behalf. He helps. He comes to the aid of our weakness, our frailty. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Spirit's Intercession. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you 